0: Men, you guys can grab a seat. Everybody doing well? Good. So we we decided to keep the lights down so that you didn't have to look at my ugly face for over these last two weeks. Um, no, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Go with me to First Thessalonians. Uh, while you're flipping there, kiddos, you guys are dismissed uh, to to go learn a little bit. Um, And we have, I don't know if y'all realize this, some of the best children's volunteers around. Uh, But like any other church, we could always use more. So uh, if you want to volunteer there, man, please, please let me know. Man, I thought you were coming up to shank me or something. Uh, so, 1 Thessalonians, and then go ahead and put your finger in Acts 17, because we're going to be there real quick. Uh, but I just want to draw your attention to two quick things, and then we're going to dive into the text this morning. Uh, first, Good Friday service, right? So, we did our first—well, we've done one in the past, but our first large Good Friday service on in 2019, and then we wanted to do it 2020, COVID, 2021— COVID, but now the COVID is gone, and so we can do it here, uh, and I'm so pumped up about it. So put it in your calendars, Good Friday service, uh, make sure you're here, now bring someone with you. If you've never participated in a Good Friday service, uh, it's, it's just great, it, it, it lowers um, the hype of Easter eggs and all other things Easter, and it really allows us to slow down and really focus on uh, what Easter means and what we're celebrating, and uh, so we do it on Good Friday. We can even talk about why Good Friday is called good, so, so put that on your calendars, Good Friday service, and then Easter, Easter, here's, here's the big deal, and, and if you can do anything for me, here's, I'm going to make a couple last requests, um, here's one of my last requests, you ready? Uh, don't go home to your home church for Easter. Bring your parents and your family here right? Uh, Bring them up here. Let them experience, see, uh, rejoice, and celebrate what God is doing in Delaunaga. So I know it's tempting to like, man, my mom's making, you know, like the deviled eggs. I'm just going to go home. Well, she can put those in Tupperware and bring them up here, right? So so have Easter here. Uh, Allow your parents and your family and your friends to see and rejoice in what God is doing here. So Easter Sunday here is going to be awesome. So make sure you're here. Sound good? Good. All right. So here we are, right? This is, uh, if this is your first Sunday, uh, sorry, this might be a little awkward uh, because this is uh, this, and then next Sunday are my last two Sundays here. Uh, and then the Lord is leading my family to go to Madison, uh, which I've kind of shared a little bit privately, less than publicly, about the situation we're walking into. Um, I mean, I, yeah. This is being recorded, so I don't want to say too much, but it's, it's uh, we could use your prayers, basically, and even some stuff I found out this morning, we could use your prayers. So um, I was talking to Andrew, I don't know if you've met Andrew Wilson, he owns Jethro's, and uh, he was in ministry before, still does ministry often now, but I asked him, said simply, like, what, what do I need to say? What do I need to do on these last two Sundays as I'm preparing to to leave the church that we planted eight years ago? And, uh, he simply just said, like, say whatever you feel like you need to say, right? Like, just get it out. Don't, don't wait. Don't hold things back. Just whatever you feel like you need to say, get it off your chest. Let it go. Uh, and so, so that's what I'm going to try to do. But here's the reality of the situation because it's already been happening. Um, I'm a really good at like yelling, getting aggressive, but this like touchy feely emotional stuff, I don't, I don't do really well at. So I'm going to go ahead and put this caveat out. Am I loud? Am I a little, okay, can you turn me down a little bit, Gunner? I'm sorry. I just feel loud. Uh, so I'm going to put this caveat out here really quickly. Um, I'm going to say some really nice, emotionally driven, caring things, but don't be surprised if I come behind it with an uncomfortable and awkward and maybe inappropriate joke, okay? That's just how I cope with being emotional. Uh, David, where's David Tell me? David told me he was at my house the other day, we were doing some stuff, and, and he started going on about, man, the church has been great, we're going to love you, we're going to miss you, and I said literally the most embarrassing and awkward joke I've said in a long time. I mean, just embarrassed I even said it, and then we just stared at each other for a minute and then walked outside. Uh, that's probably how this is going to be, right? Like, I'm going to try to bear my soul, and then I'm going to say something really uncomfortable, and you're going to go, man, I'm kind of actually glad Gabe's leaving, and then... It's going to be over, all right? So that's kind of where we are here, and I feel like, like I should just like get a stool and sit down and just, but that's what weak pastors do, and I'm not a weak pastor, so we're going to go hard this morning. See, there's uncomfortable humor. Just go for it. Um, so, so, over the next two weeks, here's what I want to do. I, I just want to go quickly through the book of 1 Thessalonians uh, as a whole. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's your last two weeks, Gabe. I really appreciate some short sermons. I, I promise we're going to go as fast as possible. Um, but but the, really, the church in Thessalonica and Paul's letter to them It's just phenomenal. So go with me to Acts 17 because I just want to look at the genesis of the church of Thessalonica uh, and then we'll see and kind of echo some of Paul's love and affection for them. But Acts chapter 17, we're just going to read 4 through 9 to kind of get a background on the church and and what they're going through and even how they got started. Acts 17, we're going to pick it up in verse 4. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Now, now this is the genesis, this is the beginning of the church in Thessalonica, right? So, so we, we moved to the line again. we came in, we set up shop, we started meeting people. Uh, no one drugged me out of my house. No one took what little money we had as a security that we would never do it again. So, so the, the genesis, the beginning of the church in Thessalonica is just unreal. I mean, they show up, they start preaching like they normally do. People are coming to Christ, they are following after him and what happens? A mob rule comes in and tries to take over, tries to end the church in the beginning, but it didn't work. So what's the massive charge here? What What is they holding these people of God against? Well, it's simple. It's treason. That they're saying, hey, you think Caesar is Lord, which is fine, but we say King Jesus is Lord. And we're never going to bow down to Caesar, and we're never going to bow down to him as Lord. It's only King Jesus. It was a treason that they were accused of, and and most of the time, that was true. For for us, we need to walk and learn in that, that there's no other ruler, no other authority, no other person that binds us and controls us more than King Jesus. And so from the beginning of the church in Thessalonica, there was um, a lot of abuse, there was murder, there was martyrdom. And so you can read as we now flip to First Thessalonians, Paul, his, his tone for them was like none other. And one of the things I love about Paul is his abrasive and his aggressiveness. I mean, he just writes letters and just gets after them. He typically the Pauline fashion is the first couple chapters of Paul's letters. He's explaining the gospel, he's loving the gospel, he's encouraging the church with the gospel. But typically, chapter three, two, four, somewhere in there, there's a little line that says, but. And then Paul goes, Hard right? I mean, he just goes after them for how they're forsaking the gospel, how they're not following the gospel. But, but really, his letter to the church in Thessalonica is very different, because there's no turn for them. There's only encouragement, only love. And you can see chapter two, verse seven, we're going to go through the first three chapters, but just as an example, two, seven, Paul says this, "'But we were gentle among you, like nursing mother taking care of her own children.'" And then later in that same chapter, verse 11, for you know how, like a father with his children. So you can hear the the simile and the metaphors that he's making, like a nursing mother, how a father treats his children, just the love and the care and the affection that takes place from the lips of Paul. But look with me at 1 Thessalonians 2.8, because this is where, honestly, uh, I've wanted to preach this passage for. The last eight years. Here's what it says: First Thessalonians 2.8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. And one commentator on this passage puts it this way: Can you think of a more profound way to express your sincere love than by your willingness to share your life with one another? One of the greatest joys of my life is getting to share your life with another. And we experience this in marriage. One of the most sincere joys of my life is being able to walk day in and day out with my wife, sharing our lives together. With my children, the same thing. And so this phrase, affectionately desirous of you, really in the Greek is the longing of love. Would be the way that we could summarize that. The longing of love. So Paul longs to love them and simultaneously be loved by them. That's what Paul was saying. I want to be with you because I want to love you and simultaneously I want to be loved by you. Paul loved the church in Thessalonica and the church loved him. So when I began thinking about and praying about and considering, okay, what is the last couple weeks at the branch going to look like? it, It was a no brainer. It was 1 Thessalonians 2.8 is where we had to go. It's where we had to spend our time Uh, for for a couple different reasons, really two. One, we always hoped, Brie and I always hoped that this passage would come true, right? That, that, That we would find a group of people that not only did we want to share the gospel with, but that we wanted to share our lives with. That we would find a group of people that loved us and cared for us, and at the same time, we loved them and cared for them. And you've heard me jokingly say this, but I just want to be as clear as possible. There was a moment about two, three years in when we were standing in our kitchen and my wife was in tears and I said, listen, if things don't change in the next three months, give me three months, if we don't find a deeper community, I'll quit. I'll I'll go do whatever, I'll find another job, I'm not worried about making money, I can always model, look how great I look uncomfortable humor, here it goes, right? Like, I will, I will do something, because here's what we were doing. The phrase that we'd always say in the early days is, we're creating community for everyone else. Everyone else around us has great community. I mean, I'm just reminded of Caleb in the front row. Uh, they, I mean, three nights a week, they were playing board games. I hate board games, right? I mean, I, I think there's a reason they call them board games, Matt Thomas was there. So, like, there's this incredible community taking place, and Bruce, was like, do you want to go over and play board games? No. No, I don't. I, I really don't. And so there's this season where we're just longing, God, is there ever going to be a community where, where we love them and they love us, that there would be this longing of love? And by God's grace, slowly but surely, he answered that prayer. And even though we don't relate on board games, These people that we were with became our family. You guys have become our family. And so the second reason was that that was a a prayer for us early on that we would find a group of people that not only we could share the gospel with, but share our lives with. And, And you have become this, especially in the last four to five years. This really has become our family. And I honestly can't point to the moment where where everything started shifting into changing for us. But slowly but surely, y'all have become our family. And I love standing up here and preaching the gospel to you, but I also just love being with you. And I hope that you love being with us. And so this morning, here's what I want to do. I just want to quickly draw a couple uh, points from Paul's encouragement to Thessalonica. And every time I do, I want to do two things. I want to encourage you in that. And just by God's grace, encourage you by how loving you've lived out the Scriptures. But then also I want to exhort you. So as we're getting ready to leave in, in a couple weeks, I want to exhort you on a few particulars from this passage. So with all that being said, let's look at chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians 1. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 2. Thessalonians 1, 1, Thessalonians 1, pick it up in verse 2. And Paul just straight out of the gate says this, we give thanks to God always for you, For all of you, excuse me, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That Paul always gives thanks for all of them, constantly mentioning them in in his prayers. And so being reminiscent, just kind of looking back and thinking and considering and praying, I have nothing but thankfulness for you guys. Something you'll hear me say over this morning and next week and, and forever and always, was that you guys have just always been an easy group to pastor. I mean, we planted this church when I was 26, right? Uh, and, and we did a lot of really, really dumb things. Uh, There's some things that I would never even want to admit to. Uh, Matt Thomas was there on a lot of those early meetings. You can go ask him. Um, Hopefully, I mean, not hopefully, they have. All the interns that were there have left, not left of faith, but they probably should have. Uh, They've left this area. They're married and have kids. And and so there's just so many dumb things that we did early on, sermons that I preached, uh, things that we said, models that we tried to emulate, but you guys stuck in and kept coming and kept praying and kept serving. The leaders that we have here are phenomenal. I'm going to say this again over and over and over again. And this is not tongue-in-cheek. This is not flattery because hopefully after the last eight years you've learned that, that I, don't, I don't just throw out compliments cheaply. I, I really do believe, look right at me, the best days are still ahead for this church. I really do believe that this is going to open up and allow you all to run faster and harder. I don't know what's on the horizon over the next two to three years, but I can promise you, I can promise you it's going to be way better than it is right now. The leaders that you have, and Stephen stepping in, and the deacons that we have in place, and some of the families that we've added over these last couple years, the best days are still ahead, and I'm excited to see that. But this morning, this morning I want to echo Paul's words in verse two, giving thanks to God always. And so from this text, I just want to draw five quick, I promise, quick uh, exhortations and encouragements of of how specifically I'm giving thanks to God for you and this congregation. So first, look with me at verse 4. Verse 4, We know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction." So I'm thankful that I've had the opportunity to watch the gospel control the way that you guys live. I'm thankful, as Paul is, that I've had the joy and the privilege to watch the gospel control how you live. Now, for this one, I mean, really all of them, but I could give story after story after story after story, uh, but the thing that pops in my mind straight out of the gate is our family groups. I mean, we f- when we first started, there were so many things that, that if Bree and I didn't take care of it, if there was counseling, if there was shepherding, if there was leading, if we weren't there, then it wouldn't take place because we were a bunch of 19 and 20 and 21 year olds. No one had real life experience, and we were 26, 27, 28, not that we did either, but I can't tell you the number of times that, that there has been meal trains set up that I had no clue about. That I get a call two or three weeks later, hey, man, I just want to fill you in on the situation. This is what happened within this marriage, but, but within our family group, we solved it. We, we took care of it. We didn't want to bother you. We didn't really need you. You're good. Hey, I just want you to let you know that this family is going through this hardship, but we've already set up a meal train. We've already taken care of this. We're doing all of it. I don't need your help. I can't tell you how many times that has happened over the last four to five years, and and here's what this means. That is evidence, that is proof that the gospel is controlling every bit of your life, that you're not picking up the phone and going, hey, pastor, you need to handle this, that you're going, no, no, if the Spirit of God is in me, I can fix this, I can solve this, I can walk with them in this, and I also see a lot of you in public. For those that don't know, I spend just a little bit of time in Jethro's and i see how you love i see how you encourage i see how you walk it's phenomenal to watch just how the gospel controls your life i've watched so many of you jump into trauma and hardships and just go with it i mean one spe- and i'm going to try to give specifics but non-specifics if that makes sense because i don't want to embarrass or overshare but, but but there's even we started this college bible study last year andrew leads it downtown Jethro's, and and for weeks, I don't even know, it might still be happening, Uh, but there was a certain member here that would just leave their credit card behind. And so all the college students would come in for Bible study, and all their coffee would be free, paid for. They would have no clue, still probably have no clue who did it. I would partake in free coffee because it was free, and thank this individual. This is what I mean, the gospel controls. Is that a little thing? Yes. But did these college students come in and that meant the world? That someone in this midst, in this room, chose to serve and love these college students just by buying them a cup of coffee. No recognition, no honor, no fame. Actually, this individual would be really frustrated with me if I even used their name. So I'm really tempted to just to make them mad. Because what are we all going to do? But here's the other thing. We, we can see this played out here. But here's probably what you don't know. And, and I want to be very careful in how I say this. Uh, but there's people across the state and really across the southeast that have raised up and took notice of what God is doing in the midst of people in a college town. I, I can't tell you how many people have told us what we're doing cannot be done. And listen, this is not to toot my own horn of my leadership. No, no, because my leadership means nothing if you're not here loving, serving, being controlled by the, and compelled by the love of the gospel, and so there's people watching and learning and taking notes of this room, what's taking place here, saying that there's no way that this can be done. Planting with a or planting a church with a heart of reaching college students is foolishness. It's Tom Foolery. You you can't do that. You can't have a church of 50, 60% college students and still be financially self-sustaining. Yeah, we can. And it's not because it's it's because you. It's because the gospel has controlled you. I mean, did you guys know that after six years we stopped getting receiving funding from anywhere else? That the only reason we're doing this, that we're able to bring Dylan on full time, we're able to pay Stephen, we're able to pay some people here and there, and is because you because the gospel is controlling you and you're jumping in and serving and loving. Uh, let me let me just do this real quick. Because this I haven't really looked at this in a long time. Uh, Pre pre launch, right? So we moved here January of 2014, and so from January of 2014 to September was just we were trying to meet as many people as we could. Had a Bible study in our house, trying to get ready to launch, and the average people that would come to our weekly Bible study was 11 people. 11 people. We launched September 14th, 2014, and at that launch service we had 58 people, which is great but over half of those were from our sending church in Alpharetta that came up to watch what we were doing. And we did it with borrowed sound equipment. I mean, if there's pictures out there, it's embarrassing. We should delete them. 2014, so we launched in September. The rest of 2014, we averaged 30 people. A a weekly averaged 30 people. And here's what cracks me up. Uh, We brought in, for all of 2014, we brought in $12,000 for the year. $12,000 for the entire year, all of 2014. That's, that's what we brought in. T- 2015, we averaged 32 people. So our Sunday services averaged 32 people. We were using half of a room that our kids are now destroying. That year, we brought in 18,000 people. But here's what we really see: started to see a move of God. On Sunday mornings, we averaged 32 people, but guess how many people we averaged in our missional communities, our family groups? 63. So we were literally doubling the amount of people that were here within our missional communities, our family groups throughout the week. And it was in that season where we were going, okay, maybe God is actually up to something. Maybe God is doing something. In 2016, we averaged 50 people. And that year, we brought in $20,000. $20,000. 2017, we averaged 65 people on a Sunday. We brought in $35,000. 2018, we averaged 79 people on a Sunday. But that year, we planted our first church. So 79 people bringing in $35,000 a year, God still saw it fit for us to send out a team of people to go plant a church in Milledgeville. So this small little ragpag group because we were compelled and controlled by the gospel, kept growing, kept loving, kept serving, kept multiplying, and people have taken notice. Now, there's, there's two things that happened here, because I don't have any more statistics to give you. One, our elders kind of came to the conclusion that, hey, numbers don't really matter. We, we track some things, but we're no longer tracking how many people are here. We might have a best guess, but that doesn't matter. But the other true reality was the person that was tracking all these numbers we sent to Milledgeville. (laughs) So then the numbers stopped. That's what really happened. So I say that just not to buff up, but to encourage that people are taking notice of what a small group of people that are in love with, controlled, and compelled by the gospel God can do. So be encouraged. It's noticeable It's noticeable that the gospel is driving what you do. But here's my exhortation. Keep going. Don't don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't be distracted. Keep running after the gospel. Number two, and I've got to go faster. It's been a joy to watch you love the word of God. It's been a joy. I give thanks to God for watching you love the Word of God. Look with me at chapter 2. Paul brings up this twice. Chapter 2, verses 5. We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor for a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Paul's saying, when we came to preach the gospel to you, it wasn't to puff up and to, to be, give flatterous words. Is that a word, flatterous? We weren't trying to be flattering. We weren't even trying to get money from you. Paul goes on to say, I didn't take a dime from you. I came to preach the gospel. In verse 13, he continues on with this. He says this, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. You did something with it, not as the words of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you in believers. Now, this one I I can just echo over and over, I'm so encouraged, because there's nothing of flattery going on here, and there's nothing of uh, smoke and mirrors and glamorous things going on here. We very publicly say we meet in a gym, And I love Lumpkin County, but I've said this over and over and over again. Purple and gold are really weird colors to have in this gym. And so we do the best we can with what we have. We put up these lights to distract you like your children. Like these are like little mobiles in your crib. Like, hey, look up here so you don't look everywhere else, right? We put this up because this clearly fixes everything, right? That was my idea. I'm not knocking on anyone else. We used to have pipe and drip. And then we just started to find out y'all don't care. You come here for one thing, to hear the Word of God preached. And then we don't have millions and millions of Bible studies and women's ministry and men's ministry. and We don't have all these. When you go to family groups, what do you do? You talk about the Scripture, and you dive into the Bible. Our playbook here is incredibly simple. We only do what we know, which is preach the Word of God, and you keep coming and keep loving and keep growing. And I know that we're not the best of preachers, and some of us preach way too long, Stephen. And I know that you just tolerate it, but you love the Word of God, and it's evident. And I love the way that Paul says it, that you accepted the Word of God, the Scriptures, not as the Word of men, but what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you. And it is evident to see this take place. You accept it, and then you live it out. Hebrews 4.12 would put it this way. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and tensions of the heart. That you guys aren't here just to get puffed up in knowledge. I mean, this really feels like a NASCAR print crew where you come in, we give you fuel powered by the word of God and the gospel and then send you right back out to do something with it. And again, there's story after story after story after testimony after testimony of the Spirit of God speaking to you through the Scriptures, and then you go into your day-to-day life and living it out. I'm so thankful and grateful that you love the Word of God. But here's my exhortation. Don't stop believing that this is sufficient for all things. Who knows what's going to come in the next year, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, what worldviews are going to start colliding, and we're going to have the temptation as Christians to go, yeah, no, no, we, we love the Scriptures, but, but we need to go to this expert source to help us understand this. No, 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 we love the Bible, but the Bible was written a long time ago. It can't really speak into things that are happening today. Don't, don't fall into that trap. Scripture is a living two-edged sword. Scripture is sufficient for every problem that we will have ever had and that we ever will have. I exhort you, stay close to the Scriptures. It is for sufficient for all things. Number three, it's been a joy to watch you pursue holiness, working to imitate Jesus. Look with me at chapter 2, verses 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea. And again, I could share story after story after story of how you have chosen to pursue holiness. I mean, I can't tell you the countless amount of times where, where Matthew 18 has taken place, where I've had to sit down with a brother in Matthew 18, if you see a sin, confront the sin, and I just simply, as lovingly as I can say, say, hey man, I love you, but you're being an idiot. And almost every time the Spirit of God works and they go, oh yeah, you're right, I am being an idiot, thanks, thanks for loving me in that. And I can't tell you how many times that has happened to me. Where the elders will say, hey, bro, go take a cold shower. We're not doing that here. That is off mission of what we're trying to accomplish. Because, see, when we're trying to pursue holiness, when holiness imitating Jesus is first and foremost on our minds, the moment that we get off a little bit, all we have to say is, hey, brother, hey, sister, pursue holiness, run after Jesus. And we go, yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, there's, I've shared this story before, but this is, when I think of pursuing holiness, imitating Jesus, Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off. Right? If your eye causes you to sin, what do you do? Pluck it out. And so there's this brother, and I, again, I've shared this before, but if you don't like it, fire me. Uh, I, there's this brother that was struggling with pornography year after year after year. And I got this picture, and I have it saved on my phone. And it was a uh, an iPhone that had been destroyed—I mean, just wrecked by a hammer. And it was bent up and contorted and like destroyed. And the brother's caption was, "Pornography will never have a stronghold on me again." This is what pursuing holiness looks like. This brother was so serious about following after the gospel and following Jesus that he literally destroyed his phone. And there's a cynical part of me that's like, hey, bro, we could have sold that thing and like gave that to missions or something. You know, like you didn't have to wreck it, Ralph. Some of y'all got that. But this brother took his, his imitation of Jesus so serious. I've seen marriages repaired. I've seen careers completely changed. This one I think cracks me up more than most. Right? And I'll talk about this in a minute. But I can't tell you how many people fall in love with Jesus and they're starting walking with Jesus here as they're graduating, going through college. And here's what I always hear. I'm never going to live in Dahlonega. As soon as I graduate, I can't wait to get out of here. Psych, you're still here. Right? Because it's no longer their plan. It's the power of Christ that compels them. That they're imitating following Jesus and Jesus has asked them to stay. So what do they do? They stay. They plug in. Is Jordan and Riley in here? Yeah, y'all are one of the most ones, right? We're moving to Chattanooga. No, you're not. Daniel. Where's Daniel? This one cracks me up. Daniel Tipton. Where is he? He left? Oh, man, I'm going to rip him then. Here we go. No, so, so Daniel, and I, and I still think God has a call on his life. Here he is. Uh, I'm not going to make fun of you about getting a ticket, but uh, he was sitting right over here at one Sunday when he first started getting involved with the branch, and I just simply said, the next church planter is going to be in this room. And at this point, Daniel was still pursuing accounting and all this, and he was appalled that the fact that I could stand up in here and say, someone here is going to plant a church. Just couldn't get over the fact. And then a year later, God put a burden on him to plant a church. And, brother, I still believe you're going to plant a church. Uh, Dylan, where's Dylan? This is another good one, too. Uh, with babies? Y'all quit having babies, all right? Gosh. So Dylan, when I first met Dylan, I'm going to be in infantry. I'm going to go, like, be in the, do the army thing and the war thing and kill people and all that. I'm like, okay, man, that's great. And then slowly but surely, here you are, slowly but surely, uh, I think God's calling me to be a accountant. And I'm like, okay, great. No, he's not. Uh, now, Dylan is going to commission and go, or yeah, I guess you've already commissioned, I don't know this military letters and acronyms, but he's going to be full-time active duty chaplain in the United States Army. Th- this stuff happens over and over and over again. Uh, Jared Ray, I'm going to be a physical therapist. Oh, wait, I don't like touching people. Well, brother, that's a wrong occupation. Like That's what you do. And so, so now he's a pastoral assistant, and he's going to be a church planner pastor one day. I mean, just God colliding over and over and over again, saying, no, 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 imitate me, pursue holiness, run after me. And then we get to have the joy of watching these things take place. It's so much fun watching you guys love, pursue, and run after. And the list goes on and on and on. So I've been so encouraged how you've pursued holiness. But here's what I want to exhort you. It's going to be hard to keep going. Pursuing holiness is not easy. It's meaning dying to yourself day in and day out. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Two more. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 11. It's been such a joy watching you set your eyes on the future kingdom. Verse 11, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Exhorted you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom, into his glory. The shorthand of that is to be kingdom-minded. To where are we going to end up? So Jesus prays, right, in the Lord's Prayer, that your kingdom would come. So for us to be kingdom-minded means to get our eyes above the fray, to get our eyes above the worldliness of making money, having a nice house, having a nice retirement, going, okay, but what's going to last for eternity? there's one thing I've said over and over and over again, and I stole this, spoiler alert, that everything that we own right now, everything that we've worked so hard for is going to end up in a dump or a landfill. All of it. All these nice trinkets and things that you own, I mean, right now we're getting ready to move, and so, so we're going through the things that we wanted so bad when our grandparents passed away that have sat in our basement for the last eight years and going, okay, maybe it's now time to get rid of some of this stuff. Right? It meant so much to us at the time, but eight years later, it's like, we just can't take this and for another move. So everything that we own, everything that we work for here on this life is temporary. So how do we be kingdom-minded? How do we zoom out? And we've seen this. We've seen, like I said before, people say, no, no, to be kingdom-minded means I'm going to sacrifice my, my career. I'm going to stay in Dahlonega for sake of the gospel in this church. We've seen people get married quickly. I mean, I think my count is like 30 marriages at this point, 30 weddings I've officiated, and I love it. I love it. Premarital counseling sometimes I don't love. Can I say that out loud? Like sometimes I just want to say, you're an idiot. Stop doing that. It's not worth it. She's right. Just stop. End it. This is going to make your marriage happy. Just give up or else she will destroy you. Just kidding. Uh, The the I mean I was joking, but man, the amount of babies we are having in this church is phenomenal, because we're not having babies just for comfort. You know that right? Like 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 Psalms talks about that babies are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So we're having kids. We're raising up disciples and sending them out. This is the plan that God has given us to have babies and send them out into the world. That's how the gospel advances. That's how the gospel spreads. This one, I mean, I, I just, um, cards on the table. Uh, young people, y'all can get on like TikTok for a second. Some are, and, and I don't know how to say this lovingly, so don't get mad at me. But some of you, uh, let's just say 15 and above, right? Uh, maybe, uh, some of you gray hairs, how about that? Some, uh, just kidding, see this is uncomfortable humor, it's just fine. I, I don't know why you've came. I don't know why you've stuck in. I mean, I'm, I'm genuine. What'd you say? Oh, okay. <laughs> Turn your hearing aid, Mike. My, my, I'll talk a little louder. I, I, I genuinely don't. Because we're a bunch of ragpag, college kids, young. I mean, there's just, there's, there's poopy diapers everywhere. That's just the life that we live in. But the fact that you came, and you stayed, and you've plugged in, and you've been around to disciple and encourage and love and support and shepherd these idealistic men and women, I, I, don't, I don't know that I'll ever understand that. I don't know why that you would come to pick this church that, the way that you have, but I'm foreverly, forever in debt to you guys coming and sticking in. I mean, young guys, I don't know if you all know this, but there's a running joke to try to figure out who's the oldest here, Right? Because no one wants to be the patriarch. Debbie Dodd, you are the patriarch. Sorry. It's, it's a good thing. Did you hear that? You mean to talk louder? I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. All right. But seriously, the, the way that y'all have stuck in and loved and shepherded, opened up your homes, opened up your lives. This is not tongue in cheek, opened up your pocketbooks. The, the way that you provide for and shepherd and care for these young families and these college students. I'll forever be in debt because this church would not be who it is without you guys staying and sticking in. It would be a whole lot simpler to go to a different church with more people like you. But for the sake of the gospel, y'all have stuck in, and I am so appreciative of that. And we can just kind of keep going out. What does it look like to be kingdom-minded? It means that we have so many. I mean, I, I, can't, I was trying to keep track of the, the volunteer hours that we have week in and week out. The people that we have loving and serving and plugging in. The fact that there's, I don't know, eight, ten kids volunteers right now back there serving and loving. The fact that we have five, six people weekly opening up their homes and opening up their lives to have people come in and be hospitable. The fact that without maybe one or two exceptions, everyone here does this 100 percent volunteer for free. the fact that y'all show up at 7:30 on a Sunday morning, and then you stay till 12:30 folding up the stinking tarp, and then you laugh about it. It's tarp time. No, it's not. It stinks. But you do it for the sake of the gospel because we're kingdom-minded, because these are short, momentary things that we have to deal with because we're working on eternal and glorious things, which is the gospel. I'll never understand. I'm so encouraged at why y'all even came and stuck in. So my exhortation here would be to keep your eyes up. Thomas Taylor puts it this way. I am but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. Earth, is a desert drear. Heaven is my home. Danger and sorrow stand round me on every hand. Heaven is my fatherland. Heaven is my home. And we see this in Paul, and or I say Paul. Some of you all say someone else in Hebrews, Hebrews eleven sixteen. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So continually to stay kingdom-minded, that there might be things we have to put up and, and tolerate. We might not get that advanced. We might not get that raised. We might not have a beautiful building, but there's good gospel kingdom-minded work happening here. And lastly, number five, look with me at chapter three. This is Paul, we'll talk about next week, there's a transition that takes place in chapter four. So this is Paul kind of rounding out his first encouragement exhortations. And look at me at chapter three, verse 11. I promise this is my last point. 311, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. And we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so, right there in verse 12, is just where I want to land the plane with us today. May the Lord increase and abound in love for one another and for all. It's been a joy to watch you love one another and love us. It's been a joy. There's probably one thing that I hear about our church over and over and over and over again. It's just how welcome and hospitable that you guys are. It's how you love when people come in. You love to meet them, invite them to your homes, invite them into your life. Just how loving you are. That's that's the single testimony I hear often, and that I preach too long. Those are probably the two major things. And honestly, I just wanted to say we have probably been the biggest recipient of that love. I mean, this is where, honestly, I could, I could go on for hours and hours upon hours of how you've loved us, how you've loved our family. Some of you guys make fun of me for that, and this and that's fine, but I will forever keep this Bible in a hard case box because this Bible was given to me out of love by our elders, and this is one of the dearest gifts I've ever received in my life. That's what love looks like. The amount of babysitters that you, I mean, last weekend we had five of you come over and just play with our kids and hang out. The amount of times that Emily has come over and hung out and watched Millie, because our dog is not that much fun. The fact that the Staples watched Millie for a month and a half when Bree was recovering from her injuries. The amount of encouraging texts and notes that I get. The way that you love our kids. I mean, listen, you can love me or not, that's fine, but the way that you've loved and cared for our kids, again, we'll just be internally grateful for that. One of the things that, when you go back and look at the numbers, from 2014, 2015, 2016, there was... Two kids, and then three kids, and then four kids at the church. And that's because I handle stress by making babies. <laughs> Sorry, I'm crying. I had to make a joke. Here it is. Our, our kids were the only ones here. And the fact that our kids don't resent the church and are angry with the church Because they had to go to church for years after year after year. Being the only kids here is a testimony of how well you have loved our kids. And I know that you're thinking, like, like the boys just play basketball with them after church. Like, Gabe, what's the big deal? It's just five minutes of us shooting hoops with Grady. That's memories that they'll remember forever. Of taking Auburn to go get her nails done. Of spending time with them. You guys have loved our kids so well. You've loved my wife incredibly well. She didn't know what she was getting into when we came here. And I remember talking to her time after time. I had a hanky in my pocket, and I took it out this morning. What a rookie mistake. She didn't know what she was getting into when we moved up here. And she was very concerned, like, What about a First kind of pastor's wife? Do I have to, like, lead every Bible study and have a really bad haircut? Like, what what do I need to do to make people like me? And I told her, you love the kids at the time it was Auburn, and you support us, and there's nothing else you have to do. And you guys have loved and encouraged and supported her. I know that she feels loved. I think that one of the biggest... um, Season for us was just 2020. And it had nothing to do with COVID. But through her injury and through her accident, the, the care and the support that came for the kids, that came putting her house back together, that came to loving, shepherding, taking care of them, Jordan coming to help her with homeschool, just the way that you have loved us has been incredible. There might have been some really dark seasons of ministry for us, but I can promise you this. It was never because you didn't love us. It was never because we didn't feel like we were loved and cared for and supported by the church here. You guys have been easy to pastor. You guys have been easy to love because you have loved us, and it's been a joy. When we um, when we have the elders and deacons and some key leaders to our house to to tell them the news first that that God has called us away. Uh, One of the things that I never saw coming, and and Bree said this, uh, one, I mean, I never saw that she would talk in a meeting, but um, the thing that she said was that that her biggest fear was that us telling us, telling y'all that we were leaving, that we were trading y'all in for a better church or a a better church family. And I'll just go ahead and stand and tell you, I don't think that's ever going to be possible the way that you have loved and encouraged and shepherded and been with us. Thank you for loving me, for putting up with me, for all my lies every single Sunday when I tell you this is going to be a short sermon and we're already at 48 minutes. Sorry. Serving and caring for our family, for tolerating us. We've not been the perfect pastor. We've not been the perfect family. We've failed more times than we've probably done it right which you guys have still loved and encouraged and supported. So here's my exhortation. Keep doing that. Do that for Stephen and Megan. That there are three kids that are stepping into this role, Braden, Mary London, and Berkeley. Love on that family like the way that you've loved on ours. Yeah, it might be a momentary basketball game, but it means the world to these kids. Yeah, it might just be a simple free night of babysitting, but it means the world to the family. Yeah, it might have taken you 10 seconds to sit down and jot that note to them to encourage them, but it means the world to us. So I exhort you to keep that going to all the elders, to all the deacons. Keep loving, encouraging, and supporting. So I want to end with this. Again, Paul's words in Philippians 1, 6-7. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense in the confirmation of the gospel. Now, I've never been imprisoned. I will say this morning I was threatened that way. Uh, the new county manager, Alan Hours, has told me that there is an uh, alert for me to be arrested, that Sheriff Gerard is going to arrest me at any time and throw me in jail, and I will be on work release so I can be released on Sundays to come preach and then go back to Lumpkin County Jail. That is a cou- county manager's plan to keep me in Dahlonega. And I'm a little terrified that's actually going to happen. <laughs> I've never been imprisoned but we've walked many days and many prayers and many hours with you. And I can echo the words of Paul, that God who began a good work, who took 10, 11 people in a Bible study where we were cooking pancakes because that's all that we could afford, to this, the best days are still ahead. That God has been so faithful and so good that the best days are still ahead. Now, Paul, at the end of Paul's exhortation, at the end of chapter 3 and verse 13 says this, that you may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God our Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. So, so next week, I really want to pick up and go into verse four or chapter 4 and 5 uh, to hold fast, to cling to the gospel. Because none of this encouragement, none of this exhortation, and, and I love you, please hear me, is because you're great. None of it is because you've done the right things. All of it is because you believed in the power of the gospel, that you've continually died to yourself and allowed Christ to rule and reign in you. I don't want to flatter you to think that you just keep being the best you you can be and this church will be great. The only way that this church is going to be great and be faithful and succeed is if we continually die to ourselves and pursue holiness Is only found in the gospel that none of us have anything we can do apart from him, that that is what we cling so hard to. One of the things that we started from day one and by God's grace has continued on except for a little bit of COVID is that we end every gathering the same way and it's so purposeful and intentional because the the, the biggest failure I could have is that we preach a sermon anywhere here. Anyone comes up and preaches a sermon and you leave thinking that you've got to try harder, that you've got to do this better. The point of the gospel and the point of communion after is to remind us that only Christ can do it. Only Christ can do it. To pursue holiness, only Christ in us can do this. To to make this church to what it can be, only Christ in us can do this. To love and to serve and to encourage, only Christ in us can do this. But that's next week. This week I just want to end with a time of communion. I just want to end with a time of thanking and praising and worshiping God for how well he has loved us and shepherded us and stewarded us and encouraged us and been patient with us. And all the times that he should have just ended the church with that joke or that comment or that 55-minute sermon. He loves us and he cares for us. So I'm going to read, as we have this last season, 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to pray, and then communion will be open. But I just want to thank you. Thank you for loving us, and it's been a joy. 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to pick it up in verse 23. For I received from the Lord but I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks of this cup in the Lord. Of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and of the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of this cup. For anyone who drinks and eats without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. So here's what I want us to do I want us to pray, I want us to examine our hearts. If the Spirit puts any uh, sin in our lives, have a moment of repentance, and then for the believers in this room, we can go take communion. If you're not yet a believer, uh, you can just sit, think, meditate on Scripture, uh, and then we'll continue in worship. But I'm just so grateful to God that we've been able to do this together for eight years, that we've taken communion after communion after communion together from a small group of 11 people to I don't even know. But we love you. you become very dear to us. So let's pray. And Father, we're so grateful for this time together. There's not enough words that I can express of how much I love this church, how much I love this group of people, how well they've loved and cared and supported for us and our family through really good times and really hard times. And Father, I'm just reminded that this is what the church is that is different than how the world loves because the world doesn't have you. But with you as our anchor, with you as our hope, with you as our salvation, Father, what happens in this, the midst of this people becomes true. That as this church pursues holiness and pursues love, we start to love like you've loved us. We start to serve like you've served us. We proclaim the gospel boldly because that's all that we have. So Father, I just pray a blessing over this church. God, as we take communion, let this be a symbol for us this morning that we are a nothing apart from the body that was broken, that we are nothing apart from the blood that was spilt. And as long as this body, as long as this church, the elders, the deacons, the leaders hold fast to that truth, that we are nothing apart from the saving work of your Son. The best days are still to come. So Father, thanks for your love. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for sending your son when we definitely didn't deserve it. For loving us when we didn't earn it. And for freely forgiving us. It's only through your son's name that we can even speak to you. You're so holy. I thank you for loving us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.